The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, glory. Hey, it's great to be back with you. This is Dudley. It's New Year's getting off, uh, getting started quickly with a lot of opportunities. I want to uh, talk to you this month about something that I think is uh, a very, very, very great importance. Two or three things I want to mention to you that are also important. One is what a wonderful time spent with the circle of servants. Uh, these are people that have that believe deeply in the message and the ministry that we do. And we get to spend some time just with them every once in a while. And we had a fabulous time. Uh, I would recommend any of you who would like to be a part of that group. Uh, these are some of the greatest people in the whole world. And when we get together, there is great fellowship, great illumination from God, great ministry, uh, great time together, and a great vision that we have together to promote the celebrity status of Jesus and the power of the message that transforms lives. So anyway, we'd love to have you in that. In a day or two, a few days, we're going to be doing the father-daughter I don't know if there's room, but if you are are a daughter or have a daughter that's 15 or up and you want the greatest experience in your life between a daughter and a father, I recommend you call the office right now and register or go to the website and get involved. Also, our featured resource this month is a set of teachings that's called Applied Grace or Grace Applied. And it has to do with, uh, my, actually, I did it as a, uh, a study out of the book of Colossians. It's not a verse by verse out of Colossians as much as it is taking the heart of the, of the letter to the Colossians and talking about what does it mean to apply the gospel to our lives in the different spheres. That, that's the great need today. It's not so much the theory of the gospel or the concept of the gospel, but how do you live as New Testament people with the gospel being the center of your life and not just morals or values or principles, but the gospel itself. I urge you with all diligence to get a hold of those teachings and uh, to make use of them. They will be a blessing to you and to everyone you uh, share them with. Okay, here we go. The, the conflict, the battle, uh, the battle issue. There has been a battle going on since the fall of mankind in the garden. There, God had created out of nothing by himself something that he wanted to glorify him, to enjoy his glory as much as he did. And yet there was a, uh, there was a serpent there in the garden. So the serpent came and attacked the message of the word of God that that was running the garden. Adam and Eve, as God's creations, were ruling, subduing the garden according to the message or the truth as God defined it. The serpent came in and suggested another message, and Adam and Eve bought into it and fell and as a result of that, there has been a conflict going on between the seed of man and Satan himself in that 
encounter, God promised that there would be a bruising battle between the two, but in the end, the head of the serpent would be crushed by the seed of man. Of course, we know that has happened and that there has been a bruising battle, but it came to fruition. It came to a climax when the seed of man, being Jesus Christ, came and lived up to the law, died the sacrificial death, defeated Satan, took away his tool of law and death, and Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father to rule with, and then sent the Holy Spirit to live in his believers, his agents, to demonstrate his victory in the earth. So, so we know the whole story, but sometimes we forget where we are in the story and how do we interpret what's going on. The message of God, the word of God, the message of God is obviously stamped on creation. Romans 1, 18 and following states that. It says that what can be known about God is, is known by what is made, and that that anyone in creation could recognize that there is a creator God who has created design and that that design is what makes life work. Romans goes on to say that man in his fallenness doesn't like for God to be God. He wants another design following the message of Satan, and therefore there's, there's the conflict. So the message is, first of all, obviously stamped on creation. Secondly, it's, uh, it's further specialized in the word given to Moses for Israel. Uh, the same laws that were built into creation, God wrote down on a stone and gave to Moses. And this was applied to Israel as a nation, as a culture, and they were to demonstrate the superiority of living under the creator God by the creator God's design, and in so doing, showing a superior way of living, of what, what culture, what society is supposed to live like. Of course, we know the story that uh, Israel misunderstood their calling, and because of their stubbornness of heart, and could not and would not live by that design, there, there came a fuller word, and God's message is fully and finally stated in the incarnation, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's the message that rules. That's the message that, that wins in the end. It's the message that works. It's the message that when followed, life has its best shot at flourishing. When ignored, there's the guarantee of deception and delusion and destruction. Uh, so this is the message that we proclaim. It's a message that, pro that captures us, those of us who are believers. But not everybody has, uh, has bought into the message. Uh, and, and oftentimes, even those of us who have, don't seriously take it as, as the final word. A shallow look at circumstances can produce an inordinate fear of evil. The apparent, the apparent view of circumstances would, would focus our attention on the bad. You see, because of our fallenness, 
we tend to feature and focus on the bad. We, we focus on what's wrong. We, we do that in ourselves. We do that in others. It, it's a known fact that good news won't sell. Uh, every once in a while, there's a newspaper or an ad magazine that says, we're just going to print good news. Well, it goes out of business because people will not pay money for good news, but they will pay for bad news because they believe that is the essence. Oh, I said they believe. I don't know what they believe. But there is a, a human tendency toward the bad and explaining things in terms of evil. It's uh, deceptiveness, it's scheming, it's subtlety. And, and, and so there's this uh, explaining history and explaining circumstances in conspiracy terms. And so if if you're still there, then uh, 2015 looks a little scary. Even when there are some hopes of promise, you're always seeing the cloud behind it. You know, every silver lining has a dark cloud, right? Now, when we have special revelation, that is when, when God opens our eyes to show us what history really is about and what's really been going on behind the scenes and where things really are, then we we see beyond the apparent. If you're only looking through human eyes and you look in the Garden of Eden, you would, you would conclude that we don't know what happened, but Adam and Eve made this choice and Satan, things just fell apart. And, and so reality became randomized and and there's no real meaning to it all. After all, it's just it was going fine. Then all of a sudden it went bad. And, and that's probably what's going to happen to everything. Now, if you have the eyes of divine perception, you you know that God created Adam and Eve and, it, and with dignity gave them a choice. The serpent tempted them and they chose and fell. And that was the result of their choice. So you, you understand the whole thing. Same way with the flood. You look at the flood and go, well, it's a historical fact. You know, maybe it did, maybe it didn't happen. You know, sure evidence that waters covered the earth, but you know, we don't really know all about that. And so, you know, there was there was a time when waters were over most of the earth, if not all of it. But we don't get it, uh, and it's in a several different histories of different nations. So some, something about water went on. But if you have divine perspective, you understand that the flood was a judgment of God on creation that had made some strides in order, but had gone to its own hard-hearted, hard-headed evil ways, and that the, the flood was a move back toward decreation, disorder, chaos, where waters covered the earth. Uh, same way with the story of Abraham. If you don't have divine illumination, you look at the story of Abraham, and it's simply a man who lived in Ur of the Chaldees and decided to make a trip, and he went over into the area of Canaan. It was a part of human migration, and it, it happened, and that's where some of the races got started and so forth. If you have divine illumination, you understand that Abram was a polytheist, that God spoke to him and told him to go, and that his migration was in response to a word from God and that there was a purpose of God being carried out in him and that this one man would be the the father, the progenitor, the, the ultimate seed that would crush the head of Satan. So you would have a better perspective. If you look at the Exodus, uh, Israel has been under the rule of Egypt for 400 years and then they get out. And so that's another story in history of how one 
nation got liberated. But if you understand from the divine perspective, you know this is all an act of God, that God moved in Moses' heart and God did the miracles that caused Egypt to want Israel to leave and God uh, delivered them and brought them through the Red Sea in a miraculous thing. And you see how all this was pointing toward a day when God would deliver all of all of the people in bondage out. Uh, you look at the conquest of uh, Israel as it marched through Canaan, and you you see campaigns, and you would you know you might describe it in all kinds of ways. But if you have a divine perspective, you understand that God was judging these nations because they had been given revelation and had not responded, and He had promised. Israel, that he would give them these lands. And so they were displaced by God's people moving in and taking his plan through the whole thing, preparing for a future day. You might look at the whole story of uh, Israel being in Babylonian captivity and go, well, you know, that's just another show of how nations swap. They move in and out of power, and history has always proven that, and their cycles into it can be explained by empirical evidence. Uh, but if you understand uh, from a biblical perspective, you understand that God was setting up a series of nations in history that would ultimately be culminated with a kingdom coming that was unusual, not like the other nations, but it would be like a rock cut out of a mountain without the use of human tools, and it would roll down the mountain, and it would destroy all the authority of all the nations and would be eternally the final nation ruling over all. And you would understand that that was a picture and reality of what happened in history as Babylon fell to Persia, and Persia fell to Greece, and Greece fell to Rome. And then during the time of Rome, there was raised up a kingdom of a king born in a manger in Bethlehem who became the ultimate king, who faced down Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas and Herod and died on the cross and won the right to rule over everything God created and Satan had marred. You would understand that. You would... Uh, if you are not looking through eyes of illumination, but rather through eyes of apparent observation, you would look at the event of the cross as a tragedy, as a possibly a martyr who died because he believed in something and was willing to give his life. But if you look through divine illumination, you'd say, this is the Son of God. This is the Son of Man. This was God's day of uh, vindication. This was the day of sins being forgiven and Satan's being defeated and the new creation being created, you would understand that it's the turning point of history, the climax of the story. So so, so divine illumination would, would give you an understanding that otherwise you wouldn't have. Uh, if you didn't look at history, I mean, if you only looked at the history of Christianity through paradise, you'd see it as another world religion. But if you look at it through divine revelation, you would see that it is not like other world religions. It is the only way to God. It It is the only path of taking care of sin where that's where totally, where justice is done and men are vindicated. It is the only way to know God as Father. And so you would see it totally differently. 
And with those same eyes, if you look today at the turmoil that's going on in the world, with the conflict going on inside of nations and between nations and and all the power that's available to nations that could blow each other off the face of the earth, you might conclude that Satan is in control or evil, whatever its source is in control, and that that we are at the mercy of cycles of history and the the mercurial emotions of dictators and rulers. But that's not the truth. What is the truth is that God rules over all and that in the midst of turmoil, he reveals his way and that you and I have been given the message, a message that is the message that stills the the turmoil in man's heart, therefore can still the turmoil in society, that, that can bring peace where nothing else can bring peace, that defeats an enemy that cannot be defeated except by the love of God. And so uh, we've been given a message that is the power of God unto salvation. It's the same message that captured a man named Paul, who was absolutely convinced that he was right in his Hebrew religion, but was struck down by an enormous light on his way to Damascus, and he met the living Christ and and saw that his way was his previous way was wrong, and he bought into this one whose name is the Word, and he brought a hold got a hold of that message, and he gave his life to it, willing to uh, to sacrifice it whatever cost, because he believed without any shadow of a doubt that this message was worth living for, worth dying for, worth investing in, that it was the only message that any person living anywhere in any part of the world whereby that person could come to know God and come come to peace. So he he was not just willing for it to be a Jewish thing or or just a Gentile thing or or just an Eastern thing or just a Western thing. He realized it's a universal gospel, a global gospel. It, It is the message that was spoken when God created the universe. It is the message that was at the heart of the values of what God said to Moses. It is is who Jesus is in person, and we have been given that message. Now, so the issue, my dear friends, my, my brothers and sisters, those who listen, the issue that we battle today is not an issue between nuclear powers. It's not even an issue of economic powers. It's it's not an issue of political powers. The issue is a message issue. What is the truth that you believe? What have you embraced? What what has captured you? And this this gospel that says that all of history is God's revelation of himself, preparing a time when God would have a people on the earth who would be conquered and captured by his love and who would then display that love toward others and bring reconciliation between man and God and bring back the the people of the second Adam who would live in partnership with God subduing the earth, glorifying his name and bringing forth fruit. That this is the message 
that is worth everything. It, it is not a, an accidental, it's not a casual message. It's not a by the way message. It's not one of the many messages. It is the message that is being attacked on every hand by the forces of hell. And you will find yourself on one side or the other of this message. You are either a an imbiber, an embracer, a proclaimer, a, an applier of it, or you aren't. And that's a serious thing. So this message, the battle continues on two levels. It, it continues inside the church and it, it continues outside the church. Uh, so our text for today uh, that you thought we weren't going to do one, did you? Is out of Paul's letter, the one that we call the second letter to Corinth, 2 Corinthians, and it's chapter 10. There are some people in Corinth who have come to the church there and have basically said, we are the real apostles and we have the real message. And this Paul guy, he is pretty weak and he doesn't have the pizzazz. Uh, he doesn't have the communication ability. He's not the guy. And uh, he's, he doesn't have the complete message. We do. And so Paul is realizing that the battle that the message faced is not only in the world out there amongst unbelievers, but it's also in the church. And so it's that context that I am reading chapter 10. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. That means walking the way mere men walk. That's what he's being accused of. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now we'll stop there for the moment and our time will, will, will tell us if we can get any further. What we're seeing here is Paul describing the battle that's going on in the church as the message is attacked there as well. There, there are these people who have so absorbed the culture that they're living in, this Grecian culture, that they highly value entertainment value. They, 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 they value skills, oratory skills. They, they value celebrity status. They value people being special and, and not only celebrities, but that they're, they're spiritual celebrities, that, they're, that they know more than others, that they have had spe special experiences with God that makes them. Their strategy has been to prove their superiority by the crowds they gather. That, so they have appealed to crowds, uh, to what, what crowds like. So they have done their marketing uh, st uh, studies very well, and they're good at their marketing and meeting what 
this culture of idolatry really wants. And if somebody asks them, are, you know, are, are you, are you real? They, they simply look, uh, turn them to their results. Well, look at how many crowds we're gathering. We're, we, we can gather crowds. We got a lot of people following us and people love what we say. They buy our books. They come to our meetings and so forth. And they actually are treating people as consumers and they are using them, abusing them, uh, dishonoring them, whatever it takes to get the people to, to follow them and to be subservient to them. And they are certainly mocking the message of this weak Paul. Paul is, uh, has chosen, as he tells us in 1 Corinthians, the first letter to those same people, he tells them, I have chosen not to the methods of the culture, but I've chosen to uh, let the message itself magnify itself and not me try to promote it. Let, let me read that to you. This is found in 1 Corinthians one seventeen. It says, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. For the word of, of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are of God, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He goes on to say, chapter 2, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, but I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he's carrying on this theme with him. And, and so these enemies of the message have said, you can't trust a man like Paul. Now, Paul says, this is serious. He says, this is not just a minor disagreement among some brothers who are seeing things a little differently about non-essential things. He says, these people that I'm talking to you about, you, you put up with them and you applaud them and you love them and you pay their bills and you exalt them above yourselves and and you boast in them, and you do all of that. And, and let me just tell you who they are. They say they're super apostles. I tell you, they're false apostles. They tell you they're operating by the Spirit of God. I tell you, they're operating by the Spirit of the culture. They say they're preaching to you the gospel. I tell you, they're preaching another gospel. It is something other. They're preaching something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ and I will demonstrate the gospel that I preach to you by, by telling you my story. So here's the accusations that the, the people were making against Paul. They were saying, first of all, you know, he's not a good speaker. He's not a good communicator. He can be, he can be talked down. He's, he's not somebody you love to listen to. He's, he's rather boring, if you, you know, and so that can't be of God because God uh, is exciting and entertains us. He, secondly, his life proves that he does not know how to live the blessed life because he has, uh, he has all kinds of problems. He, he's been kicked out of most places. He has no victory over nature. 
he uh, he winds up in the sea, a shipwreck. If he had any faith, he could keep that ship going. He uh, he's been cold, and, and if he had any faith, he could have trusted God for clothes or fire. And he, he's been, he's been hungry. He could have trusted God for for food. And so so he has no victory over nature. He has no. He has no influence, no 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 heavenly authority over civil authorities because he gets persecuted and beat. He's been he's been whipped by the Romans with their rods. He's been thrashed by the Jews with their cat of nine tails, and so so he obviously has no real spiritual authority. On top of that, he's been sick and he couldn't get well. He didn't have enough faith to get well. And when he prayed, he couldn't get his prayer answered. He prayed three times. He never got over his sickness. And and, and Satan attacked him with this, this messenger of Satan attacked him. He didn't have authority over Satan. And, and he's had no recent revelations that he will tell you about. He's had no visions. He, he's had no special revelation that lets you know that he is somebody that's extra special, that's honored of God, that's favored of God, that you should be listening to. The last revelation he had was 14 years ago, and he won't talk about it. So he should move over and let us super apostles take over because he obviously is not the man with the message today. He's not a blessed preacher. And on top of that, he's inconsistent. When he, when he comes, he's real meek and mild, and he's loving and patient and all of that. And when he gets away and sees things going, he writes these bold letters telling you, you know, you better shape up and so forth. So they had some major issues with Paul. Now, that's the nature of the opposing message because it seeks to discredit the message by disqualifying the messenger. And it also seeks to qualify their message by holding up the messenger as being blessed and beautiful and uh, desirable and everybody wants to follow him. So these seriously wrong opponents, Paul says, these false apostles who claim their authority based on each other's affirmation. <laughs> and it, it's kind of like, okay, let's all get together and affirm each other as, our, as, as apostles. That's kind of reminiscent of the movie that Robert Duvall made called The Apostle, where after he has... Uh, actually killed uh, one of the staff members at the church. He goes off, but he still feels this call of God on him. So he baptizes himself in this lake and he baptizes himself and anoints himself as the apostle. Well, that's one way to get authority. Do it yourself. Uh, if you can find a few others who will call you an apostle, then you can be uh, affirmed by apostle by, by yourselves. But, but Paul is saying, let, you know, let's, uh, let's see what God affirms as an apostle and he is willing to put his put his own life up next to theirs to show the difference i've already said they they, they proclaim another gospel live by a different spirit this gospel they preach uh, pr promotes hype in the name of hope it's, it's always telling people that things are going to be better that they're good that all the pastors behind them that all they got to do is think positive and and, and and get rid of all the other stuff. And so uh, it, it takes a lot of things that's true from the gospel, but it, it, it puts it in a, in a wrong uh, connotation. It assumes that people are living in the power of the Holy Spirit and 
that they understand that prosperity is not defined in terms of money and health and wealth, but it's defined in terms of the, the peace of God and the power of God and the life of God and the fruitfulness of God in the midst of circumstances. It assumes that people know that. And, and so it gets up and tells everybody that God wants you to be victorious when the people are thinking, oh, victorious means all my circumstances will change and, and I, I'll, I'll have more money and I'll have more options and, and whatever. When in fact, what it may mean is that your circumstances not change. They may, but they may not. But in the midst of the circumstances, you can display a, a kind of life that that the other people walking in those circumstances don't have, and they're drawn to it. Uh, you're you're the light in the world and the salt of the earth. So there's this major contrast here in the message and in the life that's produced by it. So the gospel that that has captured Paul is a life that he, that's lived in union with Christ, and a life that's lived in union with Christ is able to be humble and patient toward disciples in training. Uh, instead of manipulating people to get them to do what you want them to do, whether it's to give or to go or to fast or to serve or whatever, Paul has been, when he's with them, he's humble and patient. He, he knows that it takes time, just like Jesus was humble and patient. Uh, he, he's patient with you know, nobody, no less than Peter, who... Yeah, he had a great destiny in front of him, but man, he, he made a lot of slip-ups. But, but Jesus didn't get upset with him, just kept kept on walking with him. He was patient and humble and was willing for the message to do its own work and, and to bring transformation to his life. And so he didn't get involved in manipulating him with guilt or, or with promises of blessings that that would motivate his, uh, that would touch his his uh, greed or or his desire to be honored or whatever. He was humble and patient in training. This gospel that that Paul had, like Jesus, boasts in our weakness and in His grace. It's interesting how, uh, if we go on, if we go, if we're to go on and read this text here, how Paul deals with it. He said, you, you know, you guys like to boast about all the stuff you do. You like to boast about your crowds. You like to boast about the fact that you're. Israelites, your Hebrew origin, you 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 know you you work, you you speak well, uh, you you boast about all this stuff. So, actually, he said that's that's not the life that I live. I don't live a life of boasting in what I've done. But uh, you know, just to show you the contrast, he said I'll I'll just act the fool a minute and I'll boast. Now he said in legit in a legitimate way, I also am a Hebrew. I am of I am of Abraham. I. I, I, I'm of Christ. I, I, I have worked hard. I've worked hard in all of you, said. But he said, uh, let me tell you what I boast about. He said, I, I boast about, it, it would be like this. It would be like if I got up in front of you and said, look, I, 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 I want to be your, you know, I want you to follow. I want you to listen to my message. So I want to, I want to give you my credentials. I, I, I was born to a, a, a ignorant, poor family, and we didn't know much of anything. And truth is, once I started school, I was, uh, I flunked out of the first grade. I, I got married in the sixth grade. I was so, I was so far behind, had kids by, by the seventh grade. They, they kicked me out of school cause, uh, my beard was getting too long. And, uh, 
I went to the army and I, I couldn't make it in the army. So, you know, they kicked me out. They finally gave me a discharge just to keep me from, from cluttering up things. And then uh, I've had a disease most of my life, you know. I mean, I've had like the digestive issues like diarrhea, diarrhea and stuff. And, you know, every time I'd get up in front of people, I'd, I'd you know, I would sew all my clothes. And I, I don't have any degrees from anywhere. And uh, I, uh, I, j I just like to, you know, uh, tell you about my credentials and here are some of them. Well, you would say you would be in horror. You would be like, you would be laughing, but you'd be shamed. You'd be like, don't talk about such things like that. We don't need to know about your diarrhea. We, I don't want to know about you. You know, what kind of idiot are you to be boasting about such idiotic things? And yet that's almost what Paul is doing. He said, let, let me tell you what I boast about. I boast about the fact that I've been in prison, that I've been stoned, that I have been shipwrecked, that I have been lied about, I have been betrayed by friends, I have been persecuted, I have, I have been uh, whipped. I, I have, and he said, I, I know that the greatest boast that that you could make in this culture would be that you have achieved the the crown of the of the wall. It was a crown that was well known in those days of, of attacking a city. When, when an army would go against a city, one of the bravest things you could do would be climb those ladders that they put up in order to scale the walls. And the first person up the ladder and over the wall was given this crown, this crown of the wall. And in order to get the crown, you had to get back to the capital city and you had to swear on the emperor and all the gods of the nation that you were telling the truth that you were the first one over and, and that you survived the whole deal. And if you did that, you, you got the crown. Now, uh, N.T. Wright tell, tells, tells us about that and suggests that that's what's in Paul's mind here is he's saying, look, all of you are looking for honor and you're looking for praise and boasting about how great you are and how what, what wonderful things you've accomplished and how many crowds you've gathered and stuff you've built, you, you, all that kind of stuff. So so you're, you're looking for this crown of the wall. Let me tell you about me. He said, I, I was in this city and the governor, the governor passed this deal that uh, I was illegal I not only didn't climb up and go over the wall, I snuck out through a hole in the wall and was let down in a basket and ran for my life. That's how great I am. And so he's describing a life that when lived in the presence of, in union with Jesus Christ, circumstances make no difference because he is more interested in making Jesus famous than he is getting a hearing and being recognized as the authority or as the super apostle. So he goes on to say, well, you know, I tell you about all that. Well, let, let me just go on to vision since you guys are really high on that and y'all brag about the different visions and new words from God you got and all. He said, 14 years ago, I had this vision. He said, I, I know so little about it that I don't even know if it, if it, if it were I that did it or if it's, I don't know if I was in the body, out of the body. I, I don't know. I just know this happened and there were revelations 
that I can't even speak of. There, there, it was truth that I, that there were no words for. And so that's my, that's what I boast about. It's 14 years ago. It's not nothing lately. And, uh, I haven't written a book on it. I hadn't sent out any teachings on it, and I hadn't declared that this is the new, the new thing, the next big thing. He said, and another thing, uh, as it relates to those visions, instead of being able to boast about it, uh, I was given a messenger of Satan. I was given an affliction, a thorn in the flesh, if you will, that would re- remind me of not that it wasn't about me. It was uh, to keep me from being inflated by that, by that revelation and by that vision. And uh, it was a terrible thing to, to battle as a messenger of Satan. And so I, I prayed and I asked the father to take it. And I prayed three times and, and, and finally he answered and his answer was no. But in that experience, I, I did get the greatest revelation that I've ever gotten. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you what that is. That revelation is, my grace is sufficient for you. And in your weakness, my strength is made strong. Now he said, talking about a revelation, that's it. And that's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of, of Jesus who came and was humiliated at the hands of men that he was dying for and was put, was crucified outside the gates of the city and was put in a borrowed tomb. But God raised him from the grave and he sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus illustrated that in my strength, uh, in my weakness, he's strong. He illustrated that grace Sufficient grace for every detail in life is what the issue is. It's not always changing the circumstances. Sometimes grace means changing the circumstances. Sometimes it opens the door for Peter to walk out of prison. Sometimes it gives sight to a blind eye. Sometimes it causes a cripple to walk. Sometimes it lets Paul flounder around in the sea overnight, worrying about sharks and drowning. And sometimes it allows him to shiver in the cold as he waits for the morning light. Sometimes he's standing there being whipped 39 times by those who have no idea of what they're doing. But my grace is sufficient. And the life that is displayed by the gospel message of Jesus Christ is there is no circumstance that demons or angels or, or history or, or life can put upon you that, that, can, that can diminish that. It can't take away your joy. It can't take away your faith. It, it can't take away your authority. It, it can't take away your love. Nothing, nothing that's formed in this world can take that away from you. But if you have bought into that other gospel, that defines things in terms of the temporal, it defines things in terms of the apparent, that that defines prosperity in the temporal ways, in the physical ways. If, if you have defined success in terms of crowds and entertainment and celebrity, 
and being special and being honored. If you've defined it in those terms, you have missed, totally missed the gospel that I produce. Now, here's what Paul is saying. The message, uh, the battle we fight is not against flesh and blood. We don't, we don't fight those people who have been, who are either out of ignorance or rebellion or holding to those things. But we believe this. We believe that the gospel will defeat every one of those arguments. We believe that when the gospel is proclaimed and lived out, that it will, it will tear down those strongholds. It, it will, it, it will reveal the shallowness and the deception of all of that kind of belief. Therefore, we, we will, we will practice it in the church. And when your obedience has come to believe that, and we've taken every random thought, every idea that we've ever had, and we've brought it into the gospel, and we've said everything must submit to Christ. No idea is allowed to float out there as apart from Christ. Everything must fit into the gospel. The gospel gives coherence and meaning to every truth there is in the universe. And so when we have done that with you guys in the church, then we're ready to take it to the rest of the world. So when your obedience is complete, then we we will see it work in every other aspect of obedience. So, so the message that Paul gave his life to is the message that it, it's the message that God had in mind when he said to those in the garden, yes, there will be a bruising battle and Satan will bruise the heel of the seed of Eve, but her seed will crush his head. And when Jesus came, he did crush the head and he, he, uh, he gave the truth so that no man has to live in deception anymore. And he, he brought us a reality that is so far beyond the shadows of the apparent and the temporal that we can live in the eternal now while we wait for, for life after death. So the message of the kerygma, the message of, the, of Jesus alone will win the battle both inside the church and outside the church. But it requires that there be some people captured by it who are willing to say, this is the message I stand with. I will live and die here. I will not be swayed. I will, I will not be deceived. I will, I will not be flirted with. I, I will not fall for another gospel with another spirit and preach another Jesus. So, as we enter into our assignments this year, let us go with the highest appreciation ever in our lives of the message, the gospel. Let's give ourselves to it in belief and in practice. Let's invest in it. Let's try to earn as much money in legal ways as we can so that we can invest, invest in the gospel, both in the in the body of Christ where people are trained to it and outside where people are still being uh, bombarded with lies from hell and still believe in the wrong things. 
having wrong the wrong message. Let, let us live with absolute, total commitment to the message that wins. Father, I pray that you would let this be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M. A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.